This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast, sponsored by Cards Accepted. If you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees, check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk. I'm Ellie Jackson and I'm joined as always by my co-host George Smith. George, how are you? Not bad, mate. Not bad. You've you've caught me off guard there with a the, with a well, new intro. A little bit. I've had a, I had a bit more spare time today on my script, so I just thought I'd redo some of the uh, the intros and whatnot and just freshen things up. You know, why How's not? How's your weekend been? All right. Yeah, not bad. Been working all weekend. Two two weekend shifts. Not always the the dream weekend, but off tomorrow, so not not all bad. Uh, I've managed to take in two championship games this weekend, which has been fun. Obviously, Blackburn against Preston North End on Friday night for work. And then I went to Hillsborough for fun, in air quotation marks, on Saturday. Um, so good to have a good look at Millwall, though, because obviously they had their first game under Joe Edwards. So I enjoyed having a look at Millwall, and obviously we'll go into depth on that later. And I suppose when we look at the big talking points, obviously Leicester falling to back-to-back defeats, Millwall thrashing Wednesday and, and Watford hitting Rotherham for five. So Plenty to go out in the next hour or so. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Their second successive defeat, Middlesbrough won at Leicester City nil, of course, on Saturday. It's the first time that Leicester have dropped points away from home this season, having only uh, lost two games prior to the weekend against Hull City and Leeds United, of course. Interesting with some of the team selection, Maresca playing Hamza Chowdhury at right back. Um, which he has done a couple of times, but Ricardo Pereira was playing as a number eight, which he did briefly in the Leeds game when he made subs. I think that's basically because the right-back goes into midfield as a holding midfielder, and he clearly thinks Chowdhury is capable and best used as a number six, and clearly doesn't think he's quite at the levels of offensively to go and play in those number eight roles. So Pereira playing in advance of him, which looks weird when you look at the team sheet, but makes sense, I suppose, from a tactical point of view. But Considering Cassidy was on the bench, who we sort of thought was perfect for that right number eight role, I find that quite interesting. Obviously, at Wilfred and Diddy out at the moment. And Leicester did have big chances. They were, they were wasteful in this one, weren't they? They had big opportunities with Ian Acho in particular, who was denied a couple of times by Seni Dieng. And Borough stayed in the game. And I think that's what the crucial thing has got to be when you're playing Leicester. I think too many teams, you concede early, and we all know the quality they've got in the squad. And Game state plays a huge part in any championship game. You score the first goal at any level, but particularly in the championship, your odds of winning the game are far superior. And teams, if you go behind early against Leicester, they don't want to open up. And then you you almost just get killed by a thousand cuts um, in, in that sort of sense, rather than staying in the game at nil-nil like Borough did. And you can hurt them on transition because then Leicester have got to come out a little bit more to try and win the game. And that's, although the goal came obviously from a set piece, it came from a transitional moment where I think it was, was it Greenwood that was brought down? Whoever was fouled in the, for the build-up for the goal, it came in those counter-attacking moments for Middlesbrough. And obviously it's a fantastic strike from Greenwood, isn't it? Straight into the top corner, brilliant bit of quality. And we did a little bit on Greenwood last week or a couple of weeks ago, talking about how he's come into that left attacking midfield role in Middlesbrough's 4-2-3-1, sort of occupying the same sort of positions that Aaron Ramsey did for them last season when he was on loan from Villa and when he was fit, he was fantastic. Uh, obviously, it's been Riley McGree that had played there before then. Different profile of player, I think, a little bit more direct Greenwood in terms of the, the way he can carry the ball and obviously a right footer on that left-hand side. But yeah, a fantastic strike into the top corner. And then obviously, you've got to defend your box and 
uh, defend well, which Middlesbrough did for the remainder of the game. Interesting that obviously it's now back-to-back defeats for Leicester, which is, I think, good for the championship. They're not invincible. You've got to play well. You've got to stay in the game. I think that is the, the key uh, the key thing that teams haven't been done. And then, you, as I say, it's like death by a thousand cuts, essentially. Really good win for Middlesbrough and um, another another blow for Leicester City, which has blown the title race and the automatic promotion race wide open again. Certainly has. It's made it interesting for us, I think, and for the neutrals of the division. Leicester fans are probably wondering what's what's going wrong at the minute. Back-to-back defeats, it, it felt like that, that was just not going to be possible a few weeks ago, but... Judging by the highlights I've seen in this game, looked like a really open, really entertaining game. Chances of both teams, both goalkeepers making terrific saves at key moments. But Middlesbrough obviously came up with that sprinkling of magic to win the game and what a goal it was. Absolutely sublime free kick from Sam Greenwood. I mean, that that was one that David Beckham would have been proud of, wasn't it? It was an unbelievable hit and a goal worthy of winning any game, especially against the tabletoppers. So for Michael Carrick and for Middlesbrough, what what a fantastic result. And this was a result that I did kind of feel could have happened at the weekend. I went for it as my shock and I just had a sneaking suspicion. I mean, I worked with a Middlesbrough fan and I said to him about five past three on Saturday afternoon, I said to him, I've got a feeling that you're going to win this one today. And he went, not a chance. And obviously Sam Greenwood said, otherwise we are going to win this one. And terrific goal, as I say, absolutely superb. But a game that could have gone either way. Like I say, keepers made really, really key saves at big moments. But I think for Borough now, I think for them, it just goes to show that they are at a level now where they're going to perform to a standard that we expected at the beginning of the season. Obviously, they made terrific progress last season as the campaign developed under Michael Carrick. Then, obviously, they lost key personnel in the summer. Tuberakpon was sold. Cameron Archer's loan came to an end. Ryan Giles's loan came to an end. Ramsey's loan came to an end. A few others as well. They went down a different path with their recruitment in the summer. A lot of players brought in from overseas that were unknown quantities. Yes, it took a little bit of time for Michael Carrick to bed them in and, and settle with his team and adjust his plans. But now they've been on a real upward curve in the last few weeks and they've performed really, really well. And all of a sudden now they're knocking on the door of the playoff places, which is what we expected really as a as a minimum at the start of the season after what they achieved last season. I think you were a little bit more optimistic about their promotion chances. Not second, but obviously I would reassess that now. I think I had them about seventh or eighth. I was on the edge of the seventh I was really shocked that you'd not even got yeah. in the top six. But when you look at their, their form in recent weeks now, it's, it's really, really impressive. I mean, I think they've won seven of their last nine games now. They've only lost once since Blackburn beat them on the 16th of September. And you look at the teams they've beaten in that run. They went to Sunderland and blew them out of the water. They beat Southampton to mark the beginning of this run. They went to Watford and won. They beat Cardiff. And obviously, now they've beaten Leicester. So they've they've beaten some good teams within this run. That's the thing. They've not been playing the teams scrapping for their lives at the bottom every week. They've been challenging teams who have got promotion within their sights. So really impressive. Very, very good win. And probably the only negative for Borough is the fact that they've now got the international break between themselves and the next game. They've probably wanted to go again as quickly as possible after a win like this, but what a way to sign off for the break, a win against the league leaders. And like I say, Sam Greenwood's goal, that that was absolutely outstanding. That'll be one of the goal of the season contenders, no doubt about it. Yeah, there was a few great goals in the Championship this weekend. That one's right up there. There's only goal difference separating Leicester City and Ipswich Town in second now. Both got 39 points from 16 games played. And as I say, Leicester have got four goals more 
in terms of goal difference, keeping them at the top of the pile. Ipswich beat Swansea City 3-2 at Portman Road. Another goal fest, and Ipswich at home just do goals. Only two of Ipswich's <laughs> games this season at home, George, have been to nil, and that's the firepower they've ultimately got to get over the line. But they have not been good defensively. And I suppose when they play as open as they do, you're going to concede chances at the other end. So only two clean sheets at home this season. So you've got to wonder, is that is that sustainable defensively? Obviously dropped a couple of points in midweek against Rotherham, shipping another two goals. Um, they went behind as well in this one. Jay Fulton putting Swansea ahead. And then I think goal of the weekend has to be Jack Taylor. Unbelievable hit. Um, he's not really played a lot, Jack Taylor, since coming in from Peterborough in the summer. I thought it was a really good pick-up for them. But such has been the form of Massimo Luongo and Sam Morsey that he's not really been able to get much of a game. He's a slightly more attacking player than I think Morsey and Luongo as well. And it's whether you want to add a slightly more box-to-box player into that double pivot. But yeah, he took his opportunity at the weekend. It's a brilliant goal to get them level. Connor Chaplin with quite an opportunity to finish then made it 2-1. And then a George has penalty put them in control at 3-1 before Swansea went down to 10 men with a, a uh, two yellow cards for Liam Cullen. What a goal by Jamal Lowe, by the way. It's 3-1 in the 90th minute. You're down to 10 men. Fantastic run. The way he goes past um, Lagke on at the end as well. Fantastic to reduce the arrears. So yeah, Ipswich have had a little bit of a small wobble with draws in the in the last two. Obviously, both of those being two all, again, building into the amount of chances they are giving up. Their XG against is quite high. Their XG4 is obviously incredibly high as well, although they are running a little bit hot with their finishing. I'm intrigued to see what you think. Do you think this is sustainable for Ipswich? And I don't mean in terms of results, but I mean giving away as many goals as they are and relying on scoring two, three goals to win a match because that's what it's been like for a while now. And I just wonder whether that's sustainable over the course of the season when a few injuries start to creep in and the fixture, you know, after this international break, we've not got another break until mid-March. So that's a lot of games. That's a lot of fixtures for, for the teams to really get into. I just wonder whether that could maybe catch up with them a little bit. Being honest, it, I think they can sustain this. I really do, because it's quite bizarre, because you compare their home form with their away form, and Ipswich have now taken more points than anyone else in the division, which is fantastic. Seven uh, At home, anyway, seven wins from their first eight at home. But they've got the worst defensive record at home in the league, which is absolutely baffling. They've conceded 15 goals at home already. It's one and thing then to do for eight games, though, isn't it? But do it for 23. It but then you flip to the away table... And Ipswich have the joint best away defensive record with Leicester conceding six, which is really bizarre. But I'll be honest, I put an accumulator on on, on Saturday. Didn't come in, as always. But I thought, I'm going to have both teams to score and team to win. I thought, right, Ipswich, both teams to score, Ipswich to win. That's nailed on at home. That came in, obviously, within like 15, 20 minutes, whatever it was. But it's just the way they do it. And you can't say they're boring to watch. There's no doubt about that. It must be great being a season ticket holder at Portland Road. 40 goals already. In eight games, they've been plundered there this season. Obviously, it is a long, long season. They've got a hell of a lot of home games left, another 14, 15 remaining. I think they can sustain it because they've just got such momentum behind them. Obviously, from that promotion last year, they've been absolutely terrific so far. One defeat in their first 16 games. Obviously, Leicester have now lost more than them, albeit by one. But I just think there's something so much to like about this Ipswich team because they're so vibrant they're such free-flowing that they they score goals for fun 25 goals scored at home already this season yes they've conceded 15 but they've scored 25 which is quite remarkable really 
But they've got goals coming from, from all angles of the team. Everybody's chipping in. Jack Taylor obviously scored off the bench at mid- in midweek at Rotherham. I think he was something like the sixth player to score as a substitute for Ipswich in the league this season. So it shows everybody is contributing to this tally of goals. But I just think Kieran McKenna has just said, look, we got promoted last season playing some brilliant football. Let's go and express ourselves at a higher level. Let's not change too much. They didn't do an awful lot in the summer. They just had a little bit of strength in depth. They didn't change the starting eleven on mass like others normally do when they get promoted. And it's paying off for them. There's no doubt about it. I think in George Hurst, they've got a player who's getting better and better game by game. Connor Chaplin's still influential. Nathan Broadhead is. Leif Davis has been terrific at left back. And this is the thing with his Ipswich team. You're looking at players right throughout the team from front to back who are contributing to this. Yeah, their defensive record at home is a little bit concerned. It's it's not great. But when you're winning games, does it really matter? At the end of the day, if you watch football to be entertained and you're an Ipswich supporter, yeah, it might be a little bit frustrating conceding goals a fair amount of times at home, especially quite early in games as well, and giving themselves a bit of an uphill struggle. But they're showing they've got the character and the resilience to overcome that and still win games. So put it this way, if I was paying for a season ticket... I'd want to be entertained. If my team was winning games along with that, fantastic. And Ipswich is certainly getting that. Whether they can sustain it over a 46-game season, I think only time will tell. That is the thing. We, we just don't know. But at the moment, Ipswich, I mean, last season were playing in League One. In February, their promotion hopes automatically were looking like they were in trouble and they were on that ridiculous run that they put together. And now, 16 games into the Championship season, one defeat in 16 I mean, it's remarkable, isn't it? I mean, a lot of people tip tips which do well this season. Myself and you were a little bit more cautious. Neither of them, neither of us had them in the top six. I didn't really subscribe and sign up to the theory that they were going to do back-to-back promotions. But, you know, we're not far away, the halfway mark of the season now in a few weeks. I think they're definitely in with a chance because they've just got so much energy and so many goals in this team. Defensive record at home, a little bit concerning, but when you compare it with away from home, it just goes to show that they can, when they put their minds to it, they can keep it tight and they score goals for fun. So a very, very enjoyable team to watch, scoring great goals. And to be honest, I really do think they could go the distance. The shot result in the week, in, of the weekend, George, was definitely Norwich City winning at Cardiff City. 3-2 for Daniel side. a huge result to try and lift a little bit of the pressure going international into the international break. Showed fantastic grit as well, having led, then been 2-1 down. Turned it around in the final 10 minutes. Um, as I say, Fastnack got them in front. Josh Bowler with a nice equaliser. Really good assist from Callum Robinson, who then made it 2-1. Callum Robinson obviously pretty publicly cascaded by the manager, Errol Bullitt, in the last couple of, well, probably about a month ago now, saying that couldn't trust him or um, or Colwell, Ruben Colwell either to play in that sort of number 10 role because they weren't giving enough defensively, weren't giving enough off the ball. Well, He's shown what quality he's got when he has got the ball at his feet with that assist and then also the goal for 2-1. Um, but Norwich, you know, they could have folded. They got they still got injuries, you know. Um, they got young Julian Warner and, and Danny Barter kept coming for this one with Shane Duffy out injured. He made quite a lot of changes, you know. Plachetta was playing at left back. Um, he'd made changes at Jack Stacey on the bench as well. So he'd, he'd run the changes a little bit. Um, and they could have folded at 2-1, but they got themselves level with an own goal from Ryan Wintle. And then the third... 
the winning goal. Brilliant feat from John Rowe to shift the ball. I think it's Mark McGuinness he sends for a hot dog with that little Cruyff inside. Not the, the, the strongest of shots on his left foot, but Adam Eder's there to tap in. And Adam Eder's had a pretty difficult time of it at Norwich because with Ashley Barnes and Josh Sargent now, he was the man expected to step up. And he can't, he's, he can't really get in the team at the minute because his form's just not been great. So he's been playing second fiddle since uh, the two strikers have been out. And this could do his confidence the world of good. It could do Norwich the world of good because there's talent in that squad. And, you know, you're thinking about Daniel Farker. Like last week, obviously, I was at Norwich at Carrow Road and he was really late out and I didn't think he was coming out. Yondal Thompson is quite quick out. He came and did press and I, I didn't think Daniel Farker was going to be coming out. I thought he was going to get sacked. Daniel Farker? Uh, not Daniel I Farker. hope he weren't coming out. It'd be a long way for him. <laughs> <laughs> I've rolled back the years there. With Long that. trip from Ellen Road to Carrow Road. That I didn't think David Wagner was going to come out um, to do his, his post-match press, but he did obviously, and he's lasted the week. Um, obviously, I think circumstances are helping that. Ben Napper, who is the incoming director of football at Norwich City, replacing Stuart Webber, his start date has been brought forward. I think he was due to start at the end of November, and I think Norwich have realised that they can't really hang on till then to make a firm decision on the manager. So Napa's going to come in um, very soon, I think, over the international break. And I don't think Daniel... Uh, I don't <laughs> determine that Daniel Farker's in terms of Norwich today. I don't think David Wagner would have survived the last week had Norwich not been in a state of flux behind the scenes. So I'm very intrigued to see this play out because it's very rare we see a manager this close to the brink and pull it back. So great result for them. Great bottle, grit. You know, so often people say that they've lost the dressing room. Well, that was a fighting performance from Norwich and um, and obviously it got them a, a big three points. You know, Cardiff have got a great home record this season. They were leading 2-1. So to get the three points, it will uh, hopefully give David Wagner a stay of execution for the international break. Very big three points. It could be the afternoon that saves his job at least for a few more weeks. But personally, being truthfully honest... I don't think this is going to be anything more other than a flash-in-the-pan freak result. To score a couple of goals in a couple of minutes like that, yeah, of course, it's great. They, they've dug in, they've fought to get forced those chances to get those goals. But I just have my suspicions that it's not going to be a moment that turns their fortunes around. We've seen it a lot of times in the past where a manager on the brink gets a win. We think they're all going to then turn things around, go on a brilliant run, and it was just nothing more than a flash-in-the-pan I could be wrong, but I just fear that this could be could be the same. We'll, we'll we'll see. I could be proven wrong, and Norwich really do turn their fortunes around and go on a six seven game winning run or something after the international break. But I've just got my feet in my thoughts that I just don't think that's going to happen. Obviously, you were there last week when they when they lost to Blackburn. I've seen the video of that game. I've watched some of it back, and Norwich quite bluntly were, were awful. Their defending against Blackburn was diabolical. It wasn't much better for, for Cardiff's goals, to be fair. Certainly the second one, the Callum Robinson header, he, he'd got the freedom of Cardiff to nod that in. But Norwich, like I say, to their credit, they did come back. They did show some resilience and some effort to get back into the game. So you've got to praise them for that. Adam Eda, that should do his confidence. The world of good has obviously been waiting patiently to really sort of get the opportunity to be Norwich's chief striker, hasn't he? He was living in Team Pookie's shadow for a couple of years. And then he obviously moved on. Barnes and Sargent have obviously picked up that mantle this season, but both out injured at the minute, meaning he's now got the opportunity to lead the line. And he was in the right place at the right time to get that goal on Saturday. But 
like I say, for Norwich collectively, I'm just not sure that this is going to be a key turning point that Canaries fans will obviously be hoping for. So I think the change upstairs could be significant. Hopefully it will mark a change in the club's fortunes in the long term and, and get things back on track after a bit of a wobble. However, I just don't know. Even though I still massively rate David Wagner as a manager, I really do. I, I, I thought what he did at Huddersfield was terrific. I thought it was very, very harsh when they sacked him a few years ago. I do think he is a good manager. But I've just got a sense that that result at Cardiff on Saturday was, like I say, just a flash in the pan. So time will tell. The result in isolation, a very good one. Cardiff, as you said rightly, they've been flying at home, been winning games, been looking really, really good at home. And when they went 2-1 up, you thought, yeah, they're on course for another win. And they were up until eight minutes to go. It was looking really, really promising for them. But obviously Norwich turned the screw and found a way. So time will tell. A good result for Norwich, for Cardiff. Disappointing. But I think when you reflect on how their opening 16 games have gone, we now enter the third international break of the season. Cardiff sitting in ninth place, a couple of points outside the playoffs. Any Cardiff fan in the world would have took that at the start of August. Yeah, completely agree. Biggest two scorelines of the weekend were Sheffield Wednesday nil, Millwall four. We'll start at Hillsborough. Um, obviously a game I attended and a, a fantastic debut for Joe Edwards in the dugout in S6. It was quite an even start to the game. I would probably say even Wednesday edged it. But the big turning point was Anthony Musaba's miss. Barry Bannon breaking through midfield. It's a four on three, I think it was, or five on four, whatever it was. And Wednesday we've got the man over. It's played into Musaba. Decent, okay first touch and just swings a, a wild leg at it. Really raw finish. And then two minutes later, Millwall whip a corner in. I think Cameron Dawson should come and claim it. You know, if you look where Murray Wallace heads the ball in, he's on the six-yard box line. Um, Dominic Iorfa loses his man and, and it's 1-0. And, and from the minute Millwall went 1-0 up, it was complete domination. The the Owls wilted and the Lions grew in confidence. I thought George Saville was the best player on the pitch and he volleyed in the second. Fantastic strike into the far corner. But again, the defending from Wednesday was pretty amateurish. Um, and it, th- that's where Millwall dominated. It was the midfield battle that Wednesday lost and Millwall won. Saville and, and Denor playing in there completely dominated against Byers and Bannon and then Hendrick and Bannon in the second half. Wednesday came out in the second half a little bit better, but then a, a mistake from Cameron Dawson. Um, you know, Cross comes in at the near post. Yes, could be better defending in terms of trying to shut the, the cross down, but Dawson spills it. Wes Harding, that's three goals in, in pretty quick succession for him, for someone that doesn't score that often, fires into the back of the net. And at 3-0, it was game over. Uh, and then, obviously, they added some gloss to the scoreline with a lovely fourth goal the as well, I was going to say the pick of the bunch, but obviously Savills was a pretty great strike as well. But uh, Brooke Norton Cuffey nutmegging Musaba to sum up his poor afternoon and a really good finish. Again, it's not an error from Cameron Dawson, but could he do a little bit better to narrow those angles? But as I say, it was quite an even game. But once Millwall got in front, they were so impressive. They were really good in midfield. They dominated the ball. Um, they played sort of a back four when... Uh, Wednesday got the ball, but then it became a back three out of possession with with Brooke Norton Cuffey bombing on and Murray Wallace obviously took him round as the left centre-back as we've seen him do quite often. And yeah, they just looked good. Bradshaw and Fleming weren't even that overly involved. It was mainly sort of down the sides that Millwall looked really good. And as I say, they dominated in the centre of the park with Saville and Denor dictating things. So 
that was a really obviously crucial turning point. And again, we spoke about the importance of scoring the first goal in the championship earlier. And that, that was a really important moment. But from the minute that Wednesday missed and Millwall then scored a couple of minutes later, one-way traffic for the Lions and a really, really great start for Joe Edwards in the dugout. Terrific start. <laughs> Absolutely superb, isn't it? I mean, whether you're playing a team bottom of the league, mid-table, top of the league, to win 4-0 away from home in the Championship is a terrific result. And to do that in your first ever game as a manager in, in club football, obviously he's come from the England setup, is a real statement. And a lot of Sheffield Wednesday fans were were sort of saying it's not that impressive to beat us, which at the moment it probably isn't. But to win 4-0 away from home, regardless of who you're playing in this league, is a really, really good start. I think and I read think... a start that it was Millwall's biggest away win for eight years. Yes, I heard that as well. Yeah, that, that is correct. But I think that obviously we, we mentioned last week, yeah, we did record last week after Joe Edwards had been appointed because we did it on the Monday evening, didn't we? And we said, obviously, he'd come in and I made the point that it felt like a forward-thinking approach from Millwall in the sense that Gary Rower had obviously done a very good job over the, his time in charge and results, by and large, were, were solid enough. But I think Millwall fans had obviously grown frustrated with the style of play. They wanted a little bit more forward thrust, if you like, and a little bit more technical ability. And on first evidence, albeit again against a, a poor team, that was what Millwall fans got. They, they did say that on reflection, in truth, it probably wasn't a 4-0 game, but it was certainly a much better performance and a better style of play than what they've been seeing in the last few months. So a really, really good start for him. And I think the fact that he's won his first game 4-0 and he's now got a full two weeks on the training ground over the international break to get to know his players, get to know them both as players and, and as people, as well as individuals, to find out more about them is he's only going to help him ahead of what will be his first home game in charge. So a really, really good start for him. And Millwall will be looking to kick on from this now. And I think the thing that you've got to say with Millwall is, I'd not realised, their away form this season, despite obviously changing manager, has been quite impressive, really. They've only lost one of their first and eight. And more so, the home form's been incredibly poor. Yeah, and it's normally the way around with Millwall, isn't it? And yeah, they've, they've only lost one of their first eight away from home, but it is worth mentioning they have only won three. There's been a fair few draws in there, but they've got the joint joint second best defensive record away from home this season. Only conceded seven on the road, which is quite eye-catching as well. Only Southampton, Ipswich and Leicester have taken more points on their travels. So from that perspective, Millwall... They've got something to work with here. And I think Joe Edwards is clearly a long-term appointment to try and build something to take the club forward. And like I've always said, can they make that next step and finally get into the playoffs? Not saying they're going to do it this year. I think there's too many teams that are better than them at the moment. But maybe next season, season after, we'll see. As for Wednesday, I mean, same old story again, isn't it? Not taking the chances, can't score. Seven goals scored in 16 games this season. Four goals scored in eight at home. It's it's terrible. It, there's no other way of dressing it up. But I think it's quite clear that Danny Royal, the manager, he's not the problem here. He's working with a team that is simply not good enough for this level. And it is a result of scattergun recruitment in the summer, isn't it? Dave Bonchan, seriously, left it as long as he could to bring in a new manager, brought in Chisco Munoz. It was an absolute disaster. The recruitment was horrendous. We said at the start, didn't we, at the very beginning of the season that we got our doubts about the recruitment and we took quite a lot of flack from from Wednesday night saying that basically the, these these kids like Gassar and Musar, they're going to be the next big things. And like I said at the time, as exciting an improvement as it was to see Wednesday win for young players with room for growth, 
if they were that good, they wouldn't be at Sheffield Wednesday. I think that is the truth. Kasama and Masaba obviously coming from PSG and Monaco, respectively. If they were that good, they would not have been coming to Hillsborough. Masaba, we've seen... There was one bright spot, wasn't there, to come out of Saturday, and that was the performance of Bailey Kadamatri after he yes. came on at half-time. So, obviously, yeah. one win in five under Danny Roll. This was definitely the worst display we have seen. This was a we real have. step back. 100%. The way that the, the team folded after they went behind is the big concern. But, yeah, Kadamatri came on at half-time for Ashley Fletcher. Very I, One thing I will think, I think Danny Roll made a very bad decision to put not put Lee Gregory in the squad and to start Ashley Fletcher, who's shown absolutely nothing in his career, not just at Sheffield Wednesday, but in the last two years. He's a journeyman, he's a League One player at the minute. He shouldn't be in the starting eleven. I would rather have Gregory, and I certainly would give Kadamatri a start at Birmingham, I think, is their next game. After yeah, I think he did, he, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Wednesday, quite simply, cannot score goals to save their life at the minute. Bailey Kadamatri, I think, scored 11 goals to the under-21s already this season. I think that's almost half of the... A pace about him as well. Which he has, and he's quite a physical young lad as well. He's got something about him. And at the end of the day, we know both, as Wednesday supporters, this club has not got a good record for bringing young players through in the last 10, 15 years. There's been very few George that have made, right? made the step up. Let's be honest, there's been very, very few that have made the step up. And it says it all when a lot of Wednesday's under-21 players are still playing for the 21s when they're like 24, like Jack Stobbs was. Remember him? He was around forever, it felt like. And then a lot of Wednesday youngsters are being farmed out on loan and then earning permanent moves to to, to really down the football league, down the football pyramid, non-league sides like Spennymore Town and Alfreton, those sort of teams. And I don't mean that with any disrespect. That's where Wednesday's academy level's been at. But Kadamatri, it feels like a very, very different, a different sort of breed here. He feels like he's got a player with massive potential. West Ham have been interested in the past in him. So I think Wednesday have got to try something different up front. They need somebody to, to lead that line. And Kadamatri, he, he's proven himself as a goal scorer at youth level. Give him a chance. What, what harm can it do? What is the worst that's going to happen? But for Danny Rill, I think, as I said last week, when they lost at Bristol City, though the performance was a lot better. This is a long-term appointment for Wednesday. He can only do a certain amount with this squad. It is not good enough for this league. And to be quite honest, I don't even think Pep Guardiola could do anything with this bunch at the minute. So it's going to be a long old season. January is Wednesday's only hope, I think, of getting out of this. But one win in 16, seven goals scored, which is the joint fewest at this stage of a championship season ever. There's not a lot going for them at the minute, is there? So Birmingham away next after the international break. Crucial. So uh, we'll have to see what happens, but big improvement needed. Rotherham United were spanked 5-0 at Watford, George, and the pressure is growing on Matt Taylor. Some reports on Sunday from the Nationals that Matt Taylor has been dismissed by Rotherham United. Local reports saying that's not the case, but clearly a man under pressure. I've got some baseline stats for you, and I do think it's important that we contextualise the job at Rotherham United, but it's over a year since they won an away game in the Championship. In their last 100 away games in the Championship, now, of course, these aren't all under Matt Taylor. In fact, the, the vast majority are under Paul Warren, but they've won nine games. They've lost 64 games, so 64% away from home, and they've conceded 185 goals, which is nearly three per game for those that are sharp-minded on the mathematics front. Now, you have to give context to the job that he's trying to do because Rotherham United their ceiling is staying in the Championship and ultimately that is an uphill task every single year with the budget they've got. The fact that players that come up like Ogbene, like Barlazer, like Volks and Ajayi before that, they get picked off. 
and they go and find themselves better championship clubs, more stable championship clubs to play for after a couple of years. If they do well, Victor Johansson and Oli Rathbone will probably be the next ones if Rotherham get relegated that, that do that. However, there is no doubt that they are giving themselves 23 games to stay up ultimately, and they cannot do that. They are so uncompetitive or incompetitive or away from home. It's it's unexcusable, to be quite frank. The style of play at times has been quite muddled. And although they're quite plucky at home, you know, they beat Coventry recently, they got a good point that they were, they were good value for a draw against Ipswich in midweek at home. You cannot be that polar opposite away from home. There's not even a resilience to sort of soak up and play with 10 men. They've done it once this season. That was the only point they picked up, which was at Southampton. And let's be fair, if you played that game 100 times, Southampton would win the game. So it's not sustainable, is it? And the amount of games they are losing and losing by such large margins, they're not competitive on the road. And that has got to change. If you look at some of the goals they conceded at the weekend, well, two of them were carbon copies of Ken Semmer getting the better of Lembasika down the right-hand side and crossing for Rajovic. The first, a good header. Second, finished off as well. And I thought the fourth goal was really poor as well. It's a cross-field ball that one defender misses it. Lembasika then misses it. And Tom Ince rolls it into the corner. Now, you've got to give credit to Watford for being clinical. And I do think their underlying performances this season have been better than the points that they've returned. I do think Valerie Nismal is doing a decent job there with a poorer squad than Watford have had for many years in the Championship. But I understand why some Rotherham United fans are starting to turn on Matt Taylor a little bit. And I have sympathy for him because I do think the Rotherham job is a really difficult job because basically... If you finish twenty, your your aim's to finish twenty first, and that's not sexy. That means you're still losing a lot of games, which doesn't get fans to buy season tickets, which doesn't get bums on seats. But that is the aim. But you cannot be as poor as they are away from home, and just chalk it down to being Rotherham United in the Championship because there are teams with just as poor squads historically and just as low budgets who have been more competitive away from home, and that is something that Matt Taylor really needs to address or he's going to lose his job. Without a doubt. And I've seen those reports today, Sunday, as we record this, and I'm not surprised because the the away record is just absolutely abysmal. But having watched those highlights on, on Saturday, Saturday evening of the, of the defeat at Watford, the defending was just criminal. Absolutely criminal from nearly all of those goals. And that isn't Matt Taylor's fault directly he's not the one telling his players go out there and, and perform like that players have got to take their share of responsibility but there is quite clearly an underlying issue with this away form Rotherham last won an away game in the championship a year ago last week when they won 1-0 at Sheffield United to have gone a full calendar year without winning a away league game is quite simply horrendous they've conceded 21 times on their travels this season they've only scored three their home form is a little bit better. They've picked up 10 points of their 11 at home. And they've only lost two of their opening eight at home, at home, which shows they do make a good fist of it against most teams at the New York Stadium. We saw it against Ipswich in the week. But I think they've got to look at this situation now in, in two very different lights because Rotherham, without any disrespect to Rotherham, they're kind of in the championship what Luton are in the Premier League, aren't they? They are... They are the small team in terms of budget. They haven't got a budget that can compete with the vast majority at this level. And they have 
overall been very competitive in the Championship in recent years, certainly at home. However, I think the players that they've got are capable of better. Have they got the ability to go out there and get a manager who can make these players perform better? I know I've said it a few times already this season for other clubs, but if I'm being brutally honest, would Neil Warnock be the ideal man to come in for a second time? I know. Would he be the ideal man to come in, steady the ship, keep them afloat? But then that means, obviously, come next summer, if they do stay up, they're on it, aren't you? They're having that's exactly what I'm about. Yeah, the 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 road the road teeth in the road I'm about to go down by sort of saying if they bring Warnock in, keeps them up, brilliant. Then they've got to try and bring someone else in to implement a long term plan. Which Matt Taylor, it felt like, was going to be that man when he came in last year. To an extent, they did okay last season. They kept, they stayed up reasonably comfortably in the end. But this season, they have regressed with their performance level, certainly away from home. But it's the manner of the way they're playing away from home that concerns me. It's the fact that, basically, watching those highlights, I actually said out loud, I just said, what is the point of Rotherham even playing away games? What is the point? Because you just know what's going to happen. But I just thought the defending at Watford on, on Saturday was just absolutely abysmal, to be quite honest with you. There's no other word for it. It was horrendous. So... Personally, I think they've got to consider a change, but I think it's got to be the right change. I don't think they've just got to make the change for the sake of it because I think whoever comes in, whether it be a long-term or short-term, has got a really, really big challenge on their hands to try and keep this team afloat. But we've seen in the past stranger things have happened. Some managers can have that instant impact. So I think Matt Taylor personally reports are suggesting he's already been sacked. I, I actually do think that we'll, I'll be surprised if he is still in the dugout come the restart in a couple of weeks' time for the international break. Who they go for, like I say, short-term or long-term, who knows? But whoever, whether it be Matt Taylor, whoever's in the dugout come the restart, they've got to find a way to correct this away form because it is just getting to the point now where they are just expected every time they travel away from home to get absolutely thrashed. This is the problem they've got. Whereas at home, like I've said, generally... They make a good fist of things. I mean, they only lost 2-1 to Leicester. They were edged out by them. They got a point off Ipswich. They beat Norwich when Norwich were doing really, really well. Their next home game, I think it's Leeds United. I think it's the first game that restarts the championship season after the break on the Friday night. So, Yorkshire derby. Bit of a baptism of fire. Not be easy for Leeds. So, But with the quality Leeds have got, you'd expect them to go there and win. So, if Rotherham are going to make the change, it feels like that this is the perfect time to do it with the international break. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of 2-1 wins now for the playoff chasers. Southampton beat West Brom, inform West Brom as well, 2-1. And their great form continues at the moment. Russell Martin's side took the lead through Will Smallbone, who feels like he's really getting into his groove now in that attacking number eight role in the 4-3-3. West Brom got themselves level with quite a scruffy equaliser. And then Adam Armstrong won it at the back post. Some numbers on Adam Armstrong for you. In his last 102 appearances in the Championship, how many goals do you think he's scored? I'm going to go for plucking a number out of the sky, 55. 53? Good effort. Ooh, not far out. He's basically be better, better than one and two um, in his last two and a half seasons at Championship level. And he's obviously adaptable in the fact that he's currently playing sort of off this right-hand side in this split striker system with Alcaraz down the middle as a false nine. 
And it's working really well for Southampton. They're in really good form. And to beat a, a West Brom side that have also been doing very well of late, this was a really good win for them. It certainly was. And this was a game that I actually mentioned last weekend that I thought could have gone either way. It was obviously, like you said, a team between a game between two sides that have been in really good form of late. West Brom are ticking along nicely. Southampton much improved as games go by. And for a time, it looked as though West Brom were going to get a point, which I didn't think, to be fair, would have been a bad result for them at all away from home. But Southampton just found that extra little bit of quality. And Russell Martin actually admitted that even though he was really pleased to have got the win and was waxing lyrical about the, about his team after their performance in recent weeks, he wasn't particularly happy with their second half performance at the weekend. But again, they showed that grit and determination to dig in deep and, and get the victory. And when you've got somebody like Adam Armstrong in your ranks, you're always going to have the opportunity to find a goal to win a game at this level. And he's already up to nine goals this season now. He's been really, really important. He's chipped in with a few assists as well. But for the Saints now, you look at it, it's it's three wins in a row. It's six wins in the last eight games. And aside from that four-game run in September when they lost four in a row, their form's been really, really good. The results have been there. They've not really had a period outside of that four-game run when you've thought they're not going to be in this promotion shake-up. The last few weeks, they've, they've, they've had to show a very different side to how they've won games as well in the sense that they... They, they blew Leeds United away at the start of this run. They had to dig in deep away at Hull and away at Millwall, away at Stoke to an extent. They, they made relatively light work against Birmingham a couple of weeks ago. And then obviously they had to dig in deep again against West Bromwich Albion. So it shows that they've got different ways of winning. And I think that's got to be a useful trait for any team that's targeting promotion. So I think for Southampton, you've got to look at it in the sense that they are getting better. Russell Martin, we said at the start of the season, this was his opportunity to to show what he's all about as a manager. It's the best set of players that he's had to work with in his managerial career so far. I think the only thing that the Saints do kind of need to work on a little bit more is their, their defensive solidity. They, they have been prone to conceding goals uh, so far this season. I think they've only kept two clean sheets so far this season, which if you're targeting automatic promotion isn't, isn't helpful. But... I said really. I said the same for Ipswich, though, didn't I? If you're scoring goals in games, and you're going to have the opportunity to outscore most teams, then it's not really a massive issue. Even though, of course, you want to keep clean sheets. Goalkeepers pride themselves on them. Defenders want them. Managers want them. But if you're scoring goals and they've got the attacking talent that they have, you're always going to have a chance. And I think for Russell Martin, I think he can be really pleased with how the season's gone so far, minus that four-game blip where they obviously took those batterings at the hands of Sunderland and Leicester and then them, them defeats to, to Ipswich and Middlesbrough. But overall, I think they can be pleased with the start to the season they've had. They've played some good football at times. They've got a goal scoring Adam Armstrong. A word as well, I think is important to mention, Ross Stewart came back at the weekend. He got his first appearance since that Achilles injury he suffered back in January, made his I'm Southampton debut. how it fits in, really, because we've spoke about, obviously, the split striker system and, yes, and Alcaraz. It's going to be interesting. Where where is he going to fit in in that? That is the thing, because Ross Stewart is a player that you know damn well, if you feed him and give him service, he's going to get your goal. So he adds a very different dimension. He's not going to bring as much sort of pace and technical ability as, say, Adam Armstrong does and Alcaraz does, but he probably brings, and it seems mad saying this when Armstrong's on nine goals already, even more of a goal threat than him. If you provide him with the service... Southampton have got the players to do that, such as Adam Armstrong 
Alcaraz, Ryan Fraser off the bench. They've got good wide options. I honestly think Kyle Walker-Peters as well from fullback. Ryan Manning as well. I think they've got the options there to really make him a focal point in this team once he's up to speed. So, really good to see him back. Got on for about 10 minutes or so. Southampton fans said, though it wasn't a very long cameo appearance, he looked quite good. He looked, he offered something, a bit of a threat. And you, you, we know from his time at Sunderland last season at this level, if you can get him up to speed, get the goals going, he, he will be a big problem for defences in this league. So, I think Russell Martin can probably reflect on the start of the season quite well, 16 games in. I think probably an international break has probably come at the wrong time for them, really, with the, the run of form that they're in. But at the same time, it's an opportunity to recharge the batteries, isn't it? But overall, brilliant run and starting to just make St Mary's a bit of a fortress again. Leeds United beat Plymouth 2-1. Uh, Dan James with a really nice finish after Keane uh, Hayden gave the ball away in his own third. And it looked like it was going to be a routine regulation home win when Somerville slipped in Joel Perot, stick stuck it through the legs of Mike Cooper for 2-0. But Plymouth stayed in the game and made it nervy a little bit later on with Ben Wayne scoring. But Leeds United's former Ellen Road's been very good. They've won five in a row at home, having dropped a lot of points at the start of the season when they were quite unstable with the transfer window, which we spoke about many times. But that, that home form and those regulation wins seem to be coming a little bit easier now. And they're building up some momentum in front of their own crowd in, in West Yorkshire. They most definitely are. And I said it, didn't I, last weekend when they'd when they'd obviously um, got that away win at Leicester City. They were so impressive last Friday night. But this was obviously going to be a very different challenge where they could be a little bit more free and a little bit more expansive and things like that. But The front four is really all contributing, aren't they? Each one it is. The different yeah. James, Somerville, Perot and, and Ruta, they're all offering different things and really it's, combining well at the moment. It's quite arguably the best front four in the division, I think, to be honest with, with you. With Nonto it's, and Jade Anthony sat on the bench. Yeah, it's, it's not bad, is it? But a lot of people are obviously saying that with a team like that and a pool of attackers like that, Leeds should be doing what they're doing. Absolutely, they should. But I think Daniel Falker deserves a hell of a lot of credit for the way he's moulded this together because, like we've said a few times already this season, Leeds were lagging behind at the start of the season. So the recruitment was very, very slow. It took them a time. And let's not forget, Leeds didn't. Leeds only won one of their first five games this season. Let's not forget that. That was a way at Ipswich. They only won one of those opening five prior to the first international break of the season. But since then, they've put their foot to the floor and they've just gone. I think Plymouth will be... A little bit disappointed with the fact that in the manner that they conceded those goals, they were both self-inflicted. They, they didn't help themselves at all, giving the ball away in dangerous areas for, for James's goal and then Joel Pirro's. But I think a lot of Plymouth fans recognised and admitted to have gone to Ellen Road and lost 2-1, having pretty much, like I say, hit the self-destruct button with the way they conceded. It's not the worst result in the world. Absolutely enormous gulf in terms of financial capabilities. Leeds with a star-studded team. Plymouth still finding their feet at this level again after so many years in Leagues 1 and 2. So I don't think the Pilgrims can be too downhearted with that result at all. But for Leeds, they've just got so much attacking quality and they've really got an opportunity now to kick on. And like I say, you look at Leeds' next game, they've got Rotherham away on the, uh, on the 25th of November. That's the Friday night. If they win that, all of a sudden they are really knocking on the door of the of the top two in Leicester and Ipswich. It'll just put a little bit of pressure on those two heading into the first weekend back with Leeds playing on the Friday night. So Leeds have got an opportunity now to just continue plugging away, knocking at that door. 
They've, they've, they've yet to lose at home this season. Home form proving really, really important and really impressive at the moment. And like you said, that the attacking talent that they've got is is quite remarkable, to be fair, at this level. Dan James, he's starting to go up through the gears now. Somerville, player of the month for last month, assist at the weekend. Hell of a lot to like about this team. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Friday night's game, Blackburn Rovers 1, Preston North End 2, which obviously I was at. It was a really even game that ebbed and flowed. Both teams had spells of possession and territory and dominance in the game. It was a really good advert for the championship on Friday night. Really good atmosphere at Ewood Park with over 20,000 inside the ground. Blackburn hit the bar pretty early on through Sigurdsson as Rovers started the better of the two. And then pressing the first real attack of the game, got themselves in front. It's a lovely, lovely ball over the top from Brad Potts. A, a bit of a straight run from Alan Brown. Which I don't think it's great defending from Rovers, but... He plucks it down beautifully and rifles it into the roof of the net with his left foot. That was a really good goal. And Preston were really good for the rest of the first half and, and dominant, although Rovers hit the bar again through Andrew Moran. And then level through Sam Smodics. And I felt with Blackburn, particularly in the first half, they had too many players all coming towards the ball and not enough runs in behind the Preston defence. Obviously, we know the issues they've got in terms of centre-forward and not picking one up in the summer. Thompson not really liking the summer signings who again didn't get off the bench now, Lennis and Samir Talalovic. But Dolan playing up against three centre-backs, you've got to keep going in behind because otherwise it's too congested. Preston were really good at constricting the space in those sort of number 10 positions where Sigurdsson, Moran, Smodix uh, and Dolan coming deep all like to operate. And once they started running in behind, Smodix played a little bit higher. And you see that with the equaliser. It's a great ball over the top from Moran. Smodix makes the run to test the defence. And once he's in on goal, it's a great finish for his 10th of the season. And Rovers were on top. They got the game in their grasp. They got the stranglehold. Smodics went through again. But the changing point in the game was when Chad Evans came on, probably around the 65th minute for Preston. And all of a sudden, the ball started to stick up front for them. All of a sudden, they started to build more attacks. They hit the post through Dwayne Holmes, which was really unlucky off the inside of the post. Probably should have scored. That would have made it 2-1. And I think when you look at the two benches, and I went through some numbers in terms of starting 11s, and Rovers' average age was 23.9 and Preston's was 26.2, which across the pitch is quite a lot in terms of numbers. And it's only two years, but that's per player. And when you factor in the amount of games you would play in that time, it's quite a big difference. And that's not an excuse from Blackburn. That's just facts. And I thought Preston, in the final 25 minutes, half an hour of the game, managed it a lot better. And when Evans came on, he sort of played a little bit in the number 10s, very similar to what Ashley Barnes played at Burnley last season with uh, Osmajic in front of him. And he just started to control things, bit of calmness, bit of composure. And they finished the game the stronger. And of course, they get the winner in the last minute. Great ball in from Ben Whiteman and Liam Lindsay, who's peeled onto the back of Callum Britton, heads into the back of the net. So I think the benches were the difference. Rovers, full of inexperience, particularly at the back. And um, when you look at the three defenders on the bench, Tom Aitchinson, Pat Gamble and Jake Batty, none of which have made a championship appearance for Blackburn. Compared to Preston's bench, that was that was the big difference. Now, of course, Ennis and Talalovic didn't even get on, which is is at Thomason's door ultimately. But yeah, I thought it was a it was really harsh that Blackburn lost the game. I think it was a great advert for the championship, and I think it was just a draw would have been a fair result. Both neither team deserved to lose. Both teams didn't quite do enough to win in terms of taking their chances, but a really really good game. And, and ultimately, Ryan Lowe will be delighted to have come away with the points. But yeah, I, I think it was harsh on Blackburn. I think a draw would have been a fair result, but. Both teams had the chances and, and Preston were the more clinical of the two teams, ultimately. 
Yeah, I think I think that is the way to sum it up perfectly. Preston took the chances when they arose. Blackburn didn't. It's as simple as that. Obviously, Blackburn hit the woodwork a couple of times in the first half. Moran's effort would have been an absolute wonder goal if that had found the back of the net and just been a couple of inches, couple of inches lower. But ultimately, Preston found the way, and Liam Lindsay obviously popped up right at the death. I watched the game in its in its entirety. I did not enjoy the 90th minute match report rewrite. <laughs> Who does? Um, I'll, I'll be honest, watching it as a neutral, from my perspective, watching the game on TV, I didn't think it was that good a game. I'll be honest, I didn't think it was... Maybe it was the atmosphere building. Breathtaking. So I thought it was okay, but it certainly wasn't one of the better games that I've seen this season, but certainly wasn't the worst, not by a long chalk. But I think, like you said, a draw probably would have been a fair outcome. Blackburn had the chances. So did Preston. Preston took theirs, Blackburn didn't. That was the story of the game. It's as simple as that. I just think Blackburn's attacking options could be being utilised a little bit better. I don't understand Yaldon Thomason's reluctance to, to to throw another striker on there and test something a little bit different. Dolan, obviously, don't know, I didn't quite understand that move. It was a bit of an odd one. But I suppose on the positive front for Blackburn, Sammy Smodic's another goal for him. Up to nine now, looking really, really good and ticking along really, really nicely. And he's probably would have been, probably has been one of the surprise stories of the season so far in terms of his goals. So that's at least one positive that that Blackburn can take. But as for Preston, I mean, they had that wobble. They went on that eight-game run without without a victory. They've now managed to get two in two, signing off for the break, fifth spot couple of points behind Southampton, having won half of their opening 16 this season. Preston certainly looking a hell of a lot better than they did last year in terms of being able to grind these wins out. They look a lo- look as though they've grown in, in stature and professionalism and finding that way. I think and they've got a few more tactical options in the squad. They have. The they definitely the have. Half where they went to a back four as well. So they can change things up in games. They've got some wingers now. Liam Millow didn't have the greatest game, but he gives them a different option whether he plays at wing-back or they can go 4-4-2 as they did um, for a period in the second half. And I think that's the difference. There's more tactical variety for Ryan Lowe. Yeah, definitely. That That's exactly what Preston have got. And they've they've kind of, like I said a couple of weeks ago, they've kind of taken their recruitment this season out of the box a little bit and spreaded their wings compared to what they've done in the past, sort of recruiting recruiting domestically. Obviously, they've brought in players from overseas. You know, it's my itch. Miller's coming in on loan from Basel. Frocco Jensen's another one. And, and Frocco Jensen, though he didn't start on Friday night, he's a player that I think just gives Preston that little bit of a buzz, bit of a... X factor. Bit, yeah, a bit of the X factor, a bit of a sex appeal, if you like. He's just a little bit of an upgrade on what they've had in the past. This podcast. Well, you, he's the way to explain it, isn't it? But I think in a way, like I said, it kind of feels similar to what Millwall did with Zian Fleming last year. In the sense, they found this creator from overseas, a bit of an unknown quantity to come in. And like I say, though he didn't start the other night, he has had a good start to his Preston career. But again, Preston have still got that that spine of the team with Jordan Story, Liam Lindsay, Ben Whiteman as well. They've got a lot of experience in there, but not necessarily a team that's in its sort of latter years of its career. They've got a lot of experience under the belt for their ages. I think Alan Brown's had a bit of a resurgence this year as well. I think he's Yeah, he looks a lot better, better, doesn't he? Than what we saw a couple of years he does. ago. He certainly does. And I think, again, I mentioned for, for young Kian Best, he's continuing to, to progress quite nicely. So I think there's a lot for Ryan Lowe to work with this year. And will they be able to, 
to, to maintain this? Will they be able to put a top six run together till the end of the season? Who knows? Quite simply, who knows? I don't think it's one that's certainly now you can sit and say yes. And I don't think it's one that you can sit here and say no because of the unpredictability of this league. But I think overall, Preston look a much more well-rounded team than they did last season. Very smart recruitment in the summer. And you would you would expect them to only get better uh, as the season develops. So let's see where they're at after the international break. But they've signed off with back-to-back wins after a wobble. So uh, a lot for a lot for Ryan Lowe to be positive about at the minute. Early kickoff on Saturday was Sunderland three, Birmingham City one. More problems for the Blues with one point from fifteen under Wayne Rooney. Joe Bellingham got the opener against his former club, and Birmingham pegged level after that with Mayoshi scoring a really well worked move, good cutback, and a good finish for one all. Having you know Sunderland had a lot of good chances to go two ahead before then, and then the own goal. Obviously, from Sanderson puts Sunderland back in front, and they then rounded it off. Good work from Jack Clark, getting it across for Aoishi. I think that's how I'm going for, going for in terms of pronunciation. I'll uh, let you go for that. Summer signing from PSG with a tapping at the back post, but Sunderland were the better team by far. They could have got themselves further in front at one nil. Missed chances. Birmingham had a little bit of a spell. Moved to a sort of a four triple two Birmingham in the last couple of games and changed a few things, but. It's just not clicking under Rooney at all and they're starting to slide down the table a little bit now. Sundown were good value for this and, and deserved the win. Yeah, I watched this game in full on, on Saturday lunchtime while I was working. I got it on my iPad in front of my computer and keeping a close eye on it and I thought overall Sunderland were with a better team, but Birmingham it was sort of it was sort of weird in a way. Birmingham after after conceding the opening goal to Joe Bellingham, and obviously it had to be him that scored, obviously. I thought they regrouped quite well. They had a bit of a spell in the game. And then again, second half after Sunderland went 2-1 up, Birmingham again had another spell in the game, but all without really testing Anthony Patterson in the Sunderland goal. So I think there was, through the through the disappointment and the negatives, there were rays of positivity at times in terms of the build-up play and intensity levels. But ultimately, Wayne Rooney's been brought in as a upgrade on John Eustace, and just as probably 99% of us predicted, it's failing miserably. It's we not said at the time, football, is it? Uh, certainly not, not from where I'm looking. I think the fact that you've got rid of a manager who had, uh, you've got rid of, you've got rid of a manager that had got you in the playoffs, in the playoff spots, having recruited to his needs throughout the summer. And let's be honest, we were all singing the praise of Birmingham throughout the summer. They had one of the best transfer windows of anybody in the championship by a mile. Really eye-catching recruitment. They were getting some really good results on the board. And the board have just said, right, let's take a sledgehammer to something that's working. And we're going to bring in a big name that's going to get social media likes and clicks. doesn't really matter what we do on the field. But as long as the social media accounts are getting good numbers, that'll be fine. TikTok is through the roof. Oh, I'm sure it is. That's what women's football matches, you know. But let's be honest, Wayne Rooney, though to his credit, I thought at Derby he did a, a reasonably good job in the circumstances. Though they went down under him, I did think he, he, he did okay, to be fair. I thought in very testing circumstances, we saw signs that he could have something about him. But to have brought him into a football club where John Eustace was doing an absolutely terrific job, the fans were all on board with what he was trying to do. It's just been an absolute disaster. But the mad thing is, we all knew that this would happen. Everybody saw it coming. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this works. 
well, vast majority then. But let's be honest, he has got to get results. But let's be honest, and I say this, not as a championship chat podcast pundit, I say it as a Wednesday fan, he'll get his first win in a couple of weeks' time, Wednesday go to St Andrews, because that's absolutely nailed on. So on the next pod, after the international break, we will reflect on his first win in charge. I uh, can guarantee you that right now. Hull City beat Huddersfield Town 1-0. Liam Delap with an opportunist strike to win the game for Hull City. Hull were dominant in this game. Some nice flashes from Tyler Morton from the highlights. They were completely dominant. Huddersfield tried to sit men behind the ball to get a point. And it nearly worked, but it's quite a reduction, a reductionist way of playing football. One win in nine for them since Darren Moore came in the door. And... Yeah, I don't feel great about Huddersfield right now. They're just very... I know they've got bad injuries, but they're just a bit stodgy. They don't look like they've really got much of a plan in attack. It's not a great squad. Got to limp through till January and hope they're staying in front of the clubs that are below them, which at the minute you've got two basket cases and Rotherham. So in that, they probably will manage to do that. But yeah, it's not good for them at the minute and Hull deserved the last minute winner. Yeah, definitely. Hull, you, you look at the stats, Hull absolutely battered Huddersfield in terms of the statistics. It would have been a travesty if they'd not have not have won that game at the weekend. For Darren Moore, it's been a really underwhelming start and I must admit that I've been surprised by how poor it's been. One win in nine, that was only against a poor QPR side. But then on the flip side, you have a little look at individual moments where they had a perfectly good goal chalked off away at Sheffield Wednesday, which is a game they would have won by a goal to nil. They were minutes away from beating Ipswich with what Huddersfield fans described as one of the best performances they'd seen in years. So there has been fine margins in some games, but in others, they've just been completely outclassed. So I think the key for Huddersfield is, obviously, they appointed Darren Moore with a view to a long-term project. That was the that was the mission set out very clearly from the top when he was unveiled. January is going to be a really important time for them. They need strength in depth. The squad we said before he went in wasn't great. They don't have a lot of quality, but you would have expected Neil Warnock, as he was doing, to have got more of a tune out of them than, say, Darren Moore would with his sort of experience as a manager in dealing with those situations. Darren Moore's kind of a builder uh, and takes things on the long term. As we saw at Sheffield Wednesday, he didn't start... You know what I mean. He started off slowly at Sheffield Wednesday, didn't he? Then he got the chance to build his own team, brought his own players in. And yes, it was at League One level, but there was clear signs of progress along his tenure at Sheffield Wednesday and obviously it resulted in promotion. But I think for Huddersfield, the key for them is January. They've got a very mixed modge set of players there, haven't they? They've got players from various tenures and they've got sort of wide-ranging ages in the squad and things like that. So I think you've got to give Darren more time. Nobody's going to be satisfied with one winning nine, least of all him. He's not going to be happy with it at all. The international break... Could could be a good thing for him and these players just to get some time on the train ground and hopefully assess a few things. But there's no denying that they need to up the pace. I suppose at the minute, they're probably just fortunate that there's three teams beneath them that are even worse. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Two draws in the Championship, both goalless. We got the first sighting of Liam Manning's Bristol City. They went 4-2-3-1 in terms of the tactics. Um, Jason Knight looking quite lively. Andy Vyman coming back into the squad as the number 10 and Anis Mehmeti over Sam Bell on the left wing. Mehmeti, someone that Oxford United tried to sign before he went to Bristol City. So I'm intrigued to see how he works under Manning and hopefully he can get the best out of him. Because we've seen flashes, haven't we, since he came in from Wicker, but not a really consistent run. And then Sam Bell's been doing really well, to be fair, 
playing off that left-hand side as well. And then Coventry nil, Stoke City nil. I think the most interesting thing about this is Coventry went to a back four, which we've not seen for a long time with, with Latte, Bodier and, and Bidwell as the two as the two full-backs. But another stodgy result for two mid-table teams. Stoke now drawing back-to-back games, nil-nil, having won three in a row before that. So, again, taking two steps forward and one back a little bit, which has been the story for so long of Stoke City in the Championship. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. Please make sure you are subscribed to the podcast feed, wherever you get your podcast from, and you'll get the latest episode from us every single week. You can follow us on Twitter at ChampChatPod24 for the best Championship content online and a huge thank you again to our sponsor cards for their support this season go and check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk thank you for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the championship chat podcast